This is an interview with Ross Matthew for the Scottish Football Citizen. This audio will not be used in any other way apart from the podcast. Ross, do you give us your permission to use this audio in the podcast? Yes, I do. Excellent, that's fine. So what I'll do is I'll just clap so that that way it gives me a good an idea in the sound wave when it comes up in the computer and I can just go from there. So I'm speaking with Ross Mathy. Ross is a former footballer and now is involved within the Football Memories programme at Kilmarnock. So firstly, Ross, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Well, how's yourself? Aye, fine. Apart from the grey weather, it's a, it's a grey Tuesday ahead of the Ayrshire Derby this evening. And by the time this podcast's out, then we'll know who's won and lost that. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that and also... Um, watching the highlights of the Fife Derby, which we covered quite recently in one of our podcasts as well. Yeah, so hopefully it will prove tonight there is only one team in the I'm trying to be as impartial as I can, but, <laughs> but for the sake of the podcast, but we better move on anyway. So I mentioned it with football memories, so we'll start off exactly with that. What are your first memories of football? Well, the, the first memories for me uh, is 1952 at Motherwell Cross. It was the year that uh, Motherwell Football Club won the Scottish Cup. I was only five. I remember being at the Motherwell Cross when the team bus came through the town and there was thousands of people out on the street. And I was sitting on my dad's shoulders and that's what I remember. That was my first recollection of uh, football as a five-year-old. And as I say, that was the start of the love affair with the Motherwell Football Club. So when did you first go along to Fur Park and see the Steelmen then? Well, it would have been um, about maybe 1953-54. My grandfather was one of the, uh, if you remember in those days, there was first aid attendants uh, at the ground. And there was, every ground had a, a wooden bench near the um, the dugouts. And my grandfather sat in one of those and he was a first aider and he had the uniform and so on. And uh, if my dad couldn't take me to the game, I used to be able to sit behind him uh, at Fir Park in the stand at well, sit, stand in the, the enclosure just behind the, uh, where he sat on the bench. And the other thing too, I get in for nothing because my grandfather took me in. So... Uh, those were my first recollections of, of going to the game. And then um, later on, um, uh, I, I suppose, uh, when I was supporting Motherwell and my dad took me, uh, we stayed uh, only about a 10 minutes walk from Firth Park. And in those days, there was big families. I mean, my mum and dad were families of 10 and 11. And all our uncles, all my uncles used to come to our house. It was a tenement building, um, as I say, 10 minutes from Fir Park. And they would meet there on Saturday. Uh, and then we would all walk up. And when we got into the terracing, there was a, there was a crush, the, the crush barriers were on the terracing in those days. And we would go to this crush barrier. And it was our family crush barrier. No one else stood it, stood beside it, the home supporters. And in those days, when the away supporters come in, they didn't just stand at one end, they, they would change ends. And if we were, if we came into the terrace and, and there was um, someone standing at our crush barrier, my dad would say, excuse me, that's your family crush barrier. And honestly, without fail, people would apologise <laughs> and say, oh, sorry, but they didn't realise 
And what used to happen is that I would sit on the barrier and my cousins would sit on the barrier and, uh, you know, the parents, uh, my uncles and my dad, would hold us. And that's how we watched the game, sitting on the crush barrier. Now, health and safety nowadays wouldn't allow that. <laughs> that was my early recollections of, of, of going in to, to, to watch Muddle and then being able to grow up and watch the Ansel Babes. Uh, they were a wonderful team. They didn't win, they won the Summer Cup one year, but they didn't win the Scottish Cup for the league, but they won a tremendous amount of adver- admiration because of the style of football they played. Um, Ian St John, Willie Hunter, Andy Weir, uh, Bert McCann, all these, the, these players. And it was a joy to go and watch them. Uh, even though we lost games, uh, the football was, it was tremendous. Absolutely. You just hear about the tales of Ian St John. Um, I remember when he passed away, looking through the, the games that he played in, including there was one game where there was a Brazilian opposition, if I'm correct, yeah? Flamenco. And Motherwell, the Ansel Babes, obviously went on and beat Flamenco as well, which is no mean feat. You can't really imagine many Scottish teams now turning up against Brazilians and doing well. But back then, that would have just been bread and butter, I suppose, for was, Bobby Ansel's team. It was 9-2, I think, uh, who ended up in St John. I scored, at, scored four, four or five goals. Um, but St John was my my hero when I was growing up. And uh, I remember one day walking up to uh, Firth Park and um, uh, sold badges in those days. It was a star, tin star. And in the middle of this, the star was Ian St John's photograph. And I got one of these and I had it on my, my lapel. And I went into one of the, the shops to, to get some sweet for the game. And the lady that served me, she said, well, that's a nice photograph of yourself. And I said, no, it's not, it's not me. She said, I said, Ian St John. Well, I walked in here that day, but someone thought, that I looked like Ian St John because Ian St John had a crew cut in those days and so did I. And uh, this was a, a great honour for me for somebody to say they thought that was my photograph. But was Ian St John is affectionately known as Cindy uh, in the Motherwell area. Um, he, he was a great role model for me. And I was very, very fortunate when I was at school, I was asked to go and train at Firth Park. And uh, um, uh, in those days, um, the model teams, some were full-time and some were part-time. And the, the full-timers came in on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, and they trained the part-timers. And I got the opportunity to train with, with these guys. And sometimes we played bounce games, and I, I was probably only 13 at the time. And I thought this this was this was great, being able to uh, get a bounce game in for part, along with my heroes. That brings me in quite nicely to what my next question was going to be. How did you start playing football and uh, what teams did you start off playing for? Well, in, in those days, um, uh, uh, we, we stayed in a tenement building in Motherwell and it looked on to, all the, all the windows looked on to the backyard. In the backyard, the clothes poles, obviously for the for all the washing that was hung out, Um and those were ideal goals. And all the kids used to play um, out the back and we would play games. And then if, if, if uh, you were fortunate enough to have, own a football, your, your door knocker kept going every hour as you came out to play. So you could get a game of football. And it was great because there was a gable end as well that, um, that we used to batter the ball off and uh, work in things. And um, so... 
those were the first sort of times that I was involved in. We used to play against other streets, a street maybe quarter of a mile away. They would have so many boys and we would come and play each other. But we played in the street. Uh, we, would, we had no spare bits of ground or artificial surfaces. Or it was purely the tarmac or uh, just a, a, a piece of ground that was just like rubble. And um, uh, there, were, there, were, there were great times um, because you came home, I had to do my homework and then go out and uh, we played till it got dark. And it, it was a marvellous time being young in, in, in those days. And uh, in the, the primary school that I went to, Glencairn Primary School, I, I eventually got into the, the, the school team and, and played with them till I left. And I went to the... Um, uh, senior secondary DL High School in Motherwell and I, I played in the, uh, the first year, it was called the first juveniles and fortunately we got through to the Cameroonian Shield Cup final and we played another team uh, in Motherwell, another school in Motherwell at Douglas Park in Hamilton. That was the first time I'd actually played in a, a senior ground in a proper game and uh, fortunately we went on to win that I was lucky enough to score, uh, 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 I think it was three goals I got that, that day, we went 5-2. Um, and it was a great experience uh, playing in front of a crowd uh, and that gave me the appetite of wishing that hope someday that I could actually play senior football. And of course you mentioned there that that was your first time playing on a proper professional pitch. Um, that must have been so much better playing on a good grass surface at Douglas Park compared to playing on the streets where you've got rubble and all sorts or even cobblestones? Well, the, the good thing about uh, playing in the rubble and cobblestones and things, it, it actually helped you. Uh, you. You had to be good at control. You had to be good at your touch and your balance. And I think that did help in many ways. And one of the other things I remember being at primary school when you had sheds um, uh, and the school sat on four or five big uh, columns and underneath was the sheds. So we used to go in there and you could be playing 14 a side, a small tennis ball. And the control on some of the guys were great and uh, it, it, was, uh, it was great to play in those, those days. And everybody, it didn't matter whether you were outstanding ability or whether you, you, you had a poor touch. Everybody played it, enjoyed it. And I th think that's one of the things, I mean, I look about nowadays, uh, all the spare bits of grass that are going about, and there's a sign that says no ball games. You know, and people and don't want to hear children roaring and shouting or the ball coming into the back garden and things like that. And it's a pity uh, because once you've got the passion for football, it never leaves you. I mean, uh, during the pandemic, before the pandemic started, there's a walking football group it's a Northwest uh, uh, Club in uh, Kamana under the auspices of um, the KCST um, um, play walking football on a Wednesday at lunchtime and a Friday at lunchtime. And it's been great. We've been back for the last four or five weeks. And honestly, I don't think there's any other business that I know that um, you can go to like football. You go there, you play and the banter is so unique. The dressing room uh, banter, banter on the field when you, you, you try to do something you couldn't do 50 years ago. <laughs> People laugh at it and they're not degrading you in any manner, supporting you, and it's a laugh. 
and uh, to be still playing uh, when I was at the Scottish Football Association we used to play at lunchtime and uh, when we moved to Hamden we got the opportunity to, to use lesser Hamden um, and even more so when it became an artificial surface and um, there's one guy there who's 80 and Brian plays still at 80 and every time he used to reach a milestone like 50 or 60 or 70, I kept saying, are you not going to retire so I can take the mantle of the oldest player in the pitch? And he, he couldn't get away from players. He can beat players, he can go by people, but he can't get away with it, obviously, because um, uh, he's not available, uh, being able to, to run away. But he's got this enthusiasm and his, his, his uh, one-liners in games and in the dressing room. I mean, at the time when I was going up there, uh, before the pandemic started, I would go in three buses. I would use my bus pass from Thun to Kilmarnock, change buses, go from Kilmarnock to Glasgow, change buses, go from Glasgow into Ham uh, uh, Hamden and play games. People used to say, why do you do that? I says, I come here because of the, the camaraderie and the fun. And most importantly, I get a game of football. It's not taken too seriously. And I think there are many, many people over the years have gone down that route as well. They've fallen in love with uh, football at a very, very young age and it's never left them. Absolutely. Um, it's one of the best things about the game, just being able to play at any age, at any level. You can just go, you can do it. And the walking football, I think, shows that very well, that age is no barrier. As long as you're enthusiastic, it doesn't matter about your ability you can just go and you can do it. Now, obviously, as a young player, you did have a good level of ability and that attracted the interest of Canvas Lang Rangers. So how exactly did your move to Canvas Lang come about? That, that's interesting you've asked me that question because when I was um, I, I was playing with my... Uh, I worked in an engineering company called Model Bridgework and they had... I first started off with them as a, an under-16 and then I went to the under-18 team and I worked in the factory. And uh, we played in the local amateur league. And um, during that spell, uh, I was selected for the Lanarkshire Amateur uh, Select Team. And I got the opportunity of going in trial with Aberdeen. So um, I went up to Aberdeen for a, a week and it was um, uh, Tommy Pearson was the manager at the time. And at the end of the week, he, he signed me. And um, at that particular time, in those days, there was a form called a probationary form. Um, and I signed it. Uh, I said that I didn't want to sign it as a professional. I wanted to sign it as amateur because the opportunity I knew was coming up for me, the possibility to be selected for the Scottish amateur uh, select team. So uh, I, I did that then. Um, that was okay. I got selected uh, for the, amateur, the Scottish amateurs, and then I got a letter back saying you, you're not eligible to play for them. And I said, "Why?" And they said, "Well, you have signed a senior forum, and that's not in the rules and regulations." So I said, "Well, oh, right." So um, that was fine. So I continued to play with my amateur team, and then uh, towards the end of that season. Um, Tommy Pearson left Aberdeen and Eddie Turnbull came in and Eddie Turnbull didn't see me play along with another seven players, youngsters and they released us all 
And as soon as my, I got word that I was released and I got the paperwork through, I got a telephone call from Canvas um, Lang Rangers, David McLaglen, who was the manager at the time. And uh, he asked if he could come out. He came out here and he um, said, would you sign for Canvas Lang? And I said, yeah. So I signed a form and he took it away to get it registered. And he came back and says, I'm sorry, the probationary form you signed, you cannot go junior because I'd gone from amateur and signed the form for the senior club. So I missed out the juniors. In those days, it used to be amateur, junior, senior, and I'd jumped it. So that meant I, I said, well, I can only play amateur. So it was left that way. A year later, there was an amnesty for one year, one season. It, uh, the the Scottish Football Association and the Junior FA would allow people to um, lose that status of the probationary form and go junior. And the first team at my door that day was David McLaglen, Canvas Lang, and I signed. So it was a year later before I signed. Um, so it was a long, complicated story. But I, I got there and, and went to Canvas Lang, and I must say, it was, a, it was a great experience. Um, they were a, a great club, well run. And it was really the first time they had a coach called George McKenzie. And George had played uh, a bit of tenure in Scotland, but then mostly in um, uh, South Africa and Australia. Been out there. And he was the first person I'd come across that was actually tactically astute and tactically aware in footballing terms. And I learned a lot from George uh, playing. Uh, he played in the team and the team as well. And it, was, it was very, very, it was a great learning curve and, and had a good team. Now you mentioned about how Cambus Lang had a really good team, well run. Uh, Cambus Lang did manage to get to the final of the Junior Cup. What was it like walking out onto the Hamden Park as a player for the first time and then obviously going on to lift the cup? Uh, it was a, 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 one of life's marvellous experiences because as a youngster, um, I'd been to Hamden uh, a few times and, and I'd seen Motherwell lose in semi-finals. I'd been to Ham Hamden to see Scotland beat England. Um, and the one big dream that everyone used to have as youngsters, especially footballers, was to play at Hamden. Whether it would be with Scotland or whether it would be with your local club or, or whatever, or even in a schoolboy game, you wanted to to do what it was like to play in, in, in that stadium. And I was very fortunate to get that opportunity. Um, and to be fair to George McKenzie, the coach there, um, he, he, he was brilliant in, as far as the tactics were concerned, but also the preparation. Um, he took us to Largs. And uh, we stayed in a hotel and prepared for the game in Lars for three days and uh, used the Inverclyde facility to do our training. Um, and it, it made it a, 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 a big thing for us all because here we were, we normally just went to our training at Canvas Lang, but here we were being taken away uh, for a few days prior to the cup final. And that, that definitely helped to uh, everything as well. Everybody got on so well with each other. Now, because of your form in the juniors with Canvas Lang, this attracted the attention of senior teams such as Kilmarnock. How did you go about signing for them? 
Well, that was interesting that, that the, 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 the scout that came to watch me uh, for Dunman, it was Willie McLean, Tommy McLean's brother, Jim McLean's brother. And I must say that the McLean family were a massive influence in me in my early days, uh, uh, both from Canvas Lang to Kilmarnock. Willie came to watch me on a number of occasions and then came to see me at the house and explained, you know, that Kilmarnock were interested um, in, in signing me. What happened then is that uh, Kilmarnock approached Canvas Lang and uh, it was during the season and a run-up to the Scottish Cup. And David McLaglan said, yeah, uh, you can have him on trial when we're out the Scottish Cup. Now, this was around about October when they, when they approached me. They, they wanted me to go on trial and play for a reserve match. And David said, no. He said, once we're out the Scottish Cup, fine, you can have him on trial. Of course, that year we went straight through to the final. So it was about six to seven months later. Um, but on the on the night, um, um, it was agreed that um, although they wanted me on trial, David McLagan again he was astute as well. He said, "I'll tell you what to, what we can do. If you want to see Ross play, you play canvas line. We'll play as an, an extra match in our preparation for the Scottish Cup final." And that's what happened. The whole canvas line team was going to cut from the park. And we played a trial match tonight that night, Camus Lang against uh, uh, the reserves at Kamarna. And that's how the story started. And um, eventually um, we, we got the, the, the cup and um, I then signed for Kamarna because I, I, I'd given my word that I, I would do that. As soon as we were finished the cup, we would sign. And that's what happened. What were the main differences once you'd signed professionally for Kilmarnock, playing for them as opposed to playing in the juniors for Canvas Lang? Well, I think one of the biggest things is obviously the I'd gone full time. Uh, when I was at Canvas, Canvas Lang, I was working uh, in Middle Bridgeworth and I was working shifts. I did the two weeks day shift, which was a normal eight to four, and one week night shift. And that was half past nine at night to half past six in the morning. Now, that obviously impinged on, uh, especially the night shift week, when Campbell's line were training two or three nights uh, a week. It, it was a wee bit uh, more difficult for me because I used to go a wee bit earlier to the training at Campbell's line, rush back to, to my work uh, for half past nine start. Um, whereas at, at, at Manor, it was full time. You went down there, you prepared. Uh, but in saying that, um, the, the fitness level at Cambridge Line was good because George McKenzie, as I said and a number of uh, times, um, he was very, very good coach and he, he got the best out of us tactically, but also fitness-wise. Um, so that, that, that was one of the biggest things. And, and I must say, my first couple of days when I arrived at Kilmarnock, the players were magnificent. They, uh, coming from the juniors into the seniors, and we were training in the, the back park just behind the main stand. And they were all so welcoming. I think what did help was that the McLean brothers, uh, Tommy and Jim, um, uh, John Gilmer uh, and uh, Jimmy Cook were all, well, Jimmy Cook was Lothian, uh, the rest were all Lanarkshire. 
So that helped because we were in Hamilton, I was in Motherwell, Tommy was in Larkhall, and we used to travel all together. So when Tommy coming down in my car, my said, look, party your car at Hamilton, we'll meet at nine o'clock in the morning, we'll all drive down together. And that was a massive learning curve for me coming in the car with them all. And then Jim, Jim McCherry, um, he came from Larkhall as well. He joined the group. And it, 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 was, it was so fun in the way down. But it was also the serious side of it when we were talking about games and how we could improve. Um, so th th those were things. And I, I must say that the, the McLean family were brilliant for me. I remember when Jim McLean and I uh, roomed together when we went to various trips. Um, it was an absolute education with him. And he, he always used to say to me, he was the only person um, I was the only person that he ever apologised for swearing at. But one particular game, we were playing out the back park and I misconstrued something and Jim swore at me and I said, excuse me, Jim, please, there's no need to swear at me. And he apologised. And it's the only person in Scottish football that he's ever apologised for swearing at. Um, but Jim used to say to me, um, he stayed with his mum during the week because um, he was... And he's, he was based in Dundee at the time, and he travelled down on a Monday, stayed with his mum and Larkhall, and then uh, went back up to Dundee on uh, a Thursday. So he had plenty of time, and he used to say to me, you're back in the afternoon. I says, Jim, but my car's up in Hamilton. I'll run you to Hamilton. And it wasn't a request, it was an order. I remember going behind the, uh, the, the opposite end from where the park hotel is, uh, there was a big gable end wall and he used to take me back there in the afternoons and batter the ball off for it because he felt my first touch wasn't good enough. He used to do that, but there was other things that he would teach me as well, but they were a magnificent family uh, inspiration for me. And to play alongside Tommy McLean, uh, it was an absolute privilege. I mean, most of my goals, I, I think if, if you were analysing them, a lot of them came from Tommy's crosses. Uh, he was one of these players who could put it on a six for me, and, uh, and Eddie, Eddie Morris did the same. Eddie was good in the air, and we scored quite a lot of goals together because of the quality that was coming from the wide area. I can't uh, go without saying this, um, and it's quite topical given that on the day of recording there's an Ayrshire Derby down at Somerset Park, and you'll know exactly what's coming here. <laughs> um, uh, there was an incident at Somerset Park where you went to take a throw-in and were pulled into the crowd over the wall. What exactly happened there? Well, it was one of these things that... Um... Uh, but, uh, the ball went out the park and, and in those days uh, around Somerset there was a the red blaze uh, pathway around it and the ball was knocked off and it just settled in front of the wall and I went down and of course Stan Quinn who was the centre half at, uh, uh, here at that particular time Stan um, kind of went off the pitch as well and tried to protect the ball because I tried to take a quick throw in and of course he put his body between Self and the ball, and of course I'm trying to, and I bent down, and the next thing I felt was somebody grabbing my hair, and how he grabbed it because I'd a crook at the time, and the next thing I'm in the terrace, and I was just shanked right into the terrace, and my dad was in the main stand opposite, and after it he said to me, he says it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. He says I saw you bending down, and the next thing I saw was your your heels, 
going over the wall. And uh, the, the the police came in and, and, and took someone away. But at the end of the day, I was told by the police after the game that uh, someone had taken a, a bad turn and had just reached out and pulled in. So there was nothing done about it. Uh, uh, it was an elderly person, so that was it. But it was amazing that the number of times that I, I, I've gone back to, to Somerset, I remember one occasion, I'm walking down the road and I'm coming to uh, near where the turnstiles is, and I pass these two guys, and they're air supporters, and I hear one of them saying quite loudly, there he is. Now, as a former football player, you feel sometimes when somebody says, oh, there he is, you think, oh, that's great. I'm going to say that goal you scored, or that chance you made, or that cup you won, or whatever. And I thought, what's coming? And he says, aye, there he is. He's the one we got, we put in the terrace, you know? And I, and, and I turned to him and I said, you know something, I would be an absolute millionaire uh, if I got a pound for every time someone said that when I've come to an air game. I says, because in that in those days, the crowd at that particular game, I think was 11, 11 12,000. The number of people that I've said who were there that day is now into the 70,000 <laughs> category because everybody says I was there. And, um, but I, I, I used to uh, get on to my, my teammates in that particular day because there is a photograph that I've got in my scrapbook that there are two guys in airstrips who helped me. One was Stan Quinn. Another one was John Murphy. John Murphy had jumped to wall to get you out. And Stan Quinn helped me over as well. Yet all my teammates <laughs> were 10 yards away, standing watching in the pitch. And it was something I kept uh, going to them. But, um, but, but that, that was one thing. And the, the one thing that was upsetting for it was my mother was in hospital at the time. And um, my dad and I went up the next day. And of course, she was up to high door because she got the paper in the morning. And in those days, we didn't have a phone to phone my mum and say, look, everything's okay. And she was up to high door because she opened the Sunday Post and here was this in page three, a big picture of me being hauled over the, 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 the terrace. So that, that was a, that's what I'm remembering about in the Somerset. Not about any of the goals I scored against the earth, but that one. <laughs> Now, sticking with Kilmarnock, one of the advantages of playing for them at the time was uh, Kelly's pedigree within European football. Um, can you tell us about some of the more memorable European games that you played in and some of the goals that you scored? Yeah, you, you mentioned the uh, FC Zurich uh, earlier. That, that was my first sojourn with Kilmarnock into the, the, the European scene. Um, having played with Canvas Lang and then all of a sudden I've been in European football and, uh, and I, I was very fortunate at that particular time that Jim McLean put, it wasn't Tommy this time, but Jim McLean put a cross in and I headed it into the net so it was my first European goal and, and I still always remember that. Um, it, it, it was a great experience uh, um, going to, uh, to play in Europe. The one that I remember, not for uh, footballing reasons, but uh, it was FC Sofia. We played them and uh, we had gone out to, we played them at Rugby Park and we'd beaten them. And then we went out to Sofia and it was a chartered flight we had. 
and uh, we're all sitting, going fine, and we're getting near uh, the time for landing. And the pilot says, uh, we're going to hit some uh, turbulence in the way towards uh, Sofia, so just put your seatbelt on. We didn't realise it wasn't just turbulence, but it was thunder and lightning. And all of a sudden, the lightning would happen, and all the windows, you could see this flash coming through, and we're sitting there, and then the plane started to tip from side to side with, with, with the wind. And <laughs> I looked at Jimmy Cook, he was across the aisle from me, and he, Jimmy's got his rosary beads out. <laughs> and all the players are saying, Jimmy, say one for me as well. And as we were, as we were coming down, it, the plane was going from side to side, and it was a crosswind. And we, we could see, we were looking out the window, and we could see we were just about to touch down when the pilot pulled the joystick, and we went straight back up again. It was the wind was blowing them off the, the, the runway, and we, we had to circle for half an hour before it died down. So that, 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 that was something as well. And I remember being on that flight. Uh, it was a Bulgarian aircraft, and the uh, stewardess, she came. And, and normally when you, you travel uh, in, uh, in an aeroplane, the stewardess will come around with a, a nice little trolley with drinks and tea, coffee, etc. This one was a hospital trolley. <laughs> it had a, a litre bottle of wine. It was none of the players had, it was mainly for the officials. And they had this massive big bottle of ginger. <laughs> Whereas normally you have the little bottles of wine and so on and so forth. And that's how they had it. And they handed out a sandwich to us wrapped in a, 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 a piece of paper. But those were the experiences for, uh, you know, travelling. The other ones were when I went to play, uh, we played back out in Romania. Uh, and going out there, then we'd taken some um, uh, our own food because we knew the food wasn't as good. And there was some children uh, had come to our hotel, and we were looking out the window, and they hadn't any food, so we passed a lot of food out that we had brought with us to, to that. So that was another experience of, 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 of travelling, and some of the things that you had to put up with uh, when you played these. As I say, FC Zurich was different. Was I mean, the country was opulent, everything was first class. And then you go to a place like um, uh, Romania and, and out in the, the wilds, because uh, when we arrived in Romania, we had to travel, I think it was about a three-hour bus journey. Uh, and we went right through the centre of Romania. And honestly, it was, you know, you're looking out and you're saying such poverty, but the people seemed happy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so easy for us to judge being in a, a, a country like Scotland or the United Kingdom, and then you go to some of these. I mean, they're all better now than they were in those days in the early 70s. Now, one last thing with uh, Kilmarnock as well. You scored a famous goal in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup at Fir Park against your boyhood team of Motherwell, which I understand um, didn't win you many friends back in your hometown. <laughs> That's quite an understatement. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was quite interesting when we'd, when we'd got through to the, the quarterfinals and the draw was made. Um, it was great because a good chance to play at Fir Park again. And um, that whole week, um, uh, my dad 
uh, he worked in the local uh, Motherwell Bridge work as well. And, and um, so he was getting a bit of stick there. And uh, the morning of the match, um, obviously because I stayed in Motherwell, I didn't have to go to Kamala and come up with us. I, I met the team at the ground. And I remember that particular day, that particular day it was absolutely thrown it down, uh, really heavy rain. And I had gone out for a walk about 10 o'clock around uh, the housing estate that uh, my mum and dad had. And, uh, you know, people were at their windows and they were shouting things at me, you know, you're in for a doing today, that type of thing. Um, and it was it was all good humour. I mean, I knew all the neighbours uh, were very, very good about it. So uh, we arrive at the, the game and uh, we play the game. And, of course, um, I was fortunate enough to, to, to score the goal. And immediately after the game, uh, I had been approached the day before if I would present some prizes to a, a local boys club in Wiltshire after the game. And Willie McCallum, who was the centre-half of all during the game, he also had an invite. And I knew Willie quite well. And so after the game, um, I, I gave Willie a rift up and we did that. So I hadn't gone home right after the game. As I say, it was probably about 8 o'clock at night before I got back home. And I came into the... I just got in the door and my, mo my mother said to me, you're a disgrace. I says... What do you mean I'm a disgrace? Why did you score today? I says, well, well, that's my job. That's the team I've signed for. She says, you're a disgrace. Look at your father. And, uh, and I remember opening the door and my father's sitting in the big chair and he's got that silly grin on his face and he says it. Uh, she says, look at him. He's drunk. And I said, that wasn't my fault. It was. Do you know all week he's been taking bets that Killy would beat <laughs> Kamana, that Killy would beat well, sorry. And, he, and at the end of the day, after the game, of course, he won. He said he went to the local pub and people were buying him drinks and giving him the money that they owed. And I don't know how much he made uh, because I said, I don't want to know anything. Uh, so that was, that was the first story. <laughs> the second story was the next morning, I'm a BB officer for the 13th Monroe. Um, I've gone to the Bible class in the morning in the church in the afternoon. And it, it was interesting when I when I came down the aisle at the church, you could hear everybody going, <laughs> and but they, 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 were, they were very good at coming home that day from, from the church in the BB Bible class. I'm walking near my home, and there's a spare bit of ground, and there's some, some kids playing football, and the ball was kicked. And it came towards me, and I was walking in the pavement, and I stopped it from going on the road. And this wee lad ran over, and he bent down, and he put his hands in the ball as I, as I had my foot in it. And he lifted his head, and he looked at me, and he said, murderer, and walked away. <laughs> you know? and, and I thought, oh, well. And, and, and then, as I said earlier about the, one of the BB officers uh, had spoken to me for years after it. Um, but uh, no, it, it, it was great. And uh, to be fair, a, a lot of the people that I knew came after and said, we're all done. But the biggest disappointment of, of that particular running the cup was losing to Aberdeen uh, in the semi-final. And again, it, it was having been the year before 
with Cambus Lang in the final at Hamden. I thought when we got Aberdeen, I said, well, you're good, come back to Hamden. That's great. And of course, what did they do? They put it at Norton Park in Perth. And that didn't help us. It helped Aberdeen because they came down in their droves because it was an easier pitch to get to. And I think uh, it would have been better for us being at Hamden. But at the end of the day, we lost the game, unfortunately. Now, moving on from your Kilmarnock days, uh, eventually um, when you left Kilmarnock, you went on to join Dumbarton. Uh, how was being at Boghead Lake um, compared to being at Rugby Park? Oh, it was obviously to- totally different. Um, the, the, um, the reason, one of the reasons I, I, I was transferred from Kilmarnock uh, to Dumbarton was that on that particular day, the, uh, a decision had been made a year before that that anybody that left the club full-timer would be replaced by a part-time. That was a decision the club was going to go part-time. And on that, it was a Friday morning, we were behind one of the goals, if you remember the, the, the old rugby park, and we were playing a small side game. In fact, it was, um, if I remember right, it was seven players left in time. And John Murbuck, the trainer, made it 4v4 with a wee small-sided game. And I got a call to go and see Walter McRae, and he, he told me that uh, Dumbarton were interested. And uh, I went to see Alec, Alec Wright, and I, I signed for Dumbarton. Because Walter told me, uh, you won't get in the first time again. You know, that's it. And I, I was still a full-timer. So I went to Dumbarton as a full-timer, and uh, it was completely different. Um, See, I've played on a surface like Ruby Park at the beginning of my career, and then to go to Boghead, which was aptly named because if it ever rained, it was knee deep muck, it was oh, horrendous. But to be fair to the wee groundsman, uh, Dick, he was great at trying to get it to put into some semblance of order, but it was never going to be a surface that you could play genuine passing game. Uh, uh, and again, um, uh, as I say, I was full time there. I was I was training a couple of mornings a week, and then I went down with the part timers on a Tuesday and a Thursday. It was completely different. But one of the things I got the opportunity, Willie, uh, Willie Wallace, who played in Celtic, um, he was at Dumbarton as well. Um, Charlie Gallagher, who played in the great Celtic team as well, he was at Dumbarton, and um, they, they were great. Willie Wallace was uh, a great coach as well. Uh, he used to he he did all the training for the full timers, and and some of the stuff he produced was was excellent. So it was, it was a different way altogether. There, um, you know, you could take your own kit home and wash it. The commander you left it, it was taken to the laundry, put uh, in the ground, and and it was ready for you next morning. Whereas the Dumbarton one, you would put it in after training. Next day you would come in, it would. Be, uh, bored hard because it's <laughs> in the drying room and uh, had cake on it, uh, or you had to take it home and wash it yourself. So the, 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 there was a uh, a big difference in the, the, the level of being at Kilmarnock. Not that I'm saying that Dumbarton were not a professional club, but uh, I thought Kilmarnock is, is one of the top clubs for me. Now on the subject of that as well, you scored a goal for Dumbarton that would have dire consequences for Kilmarnock. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, I, I suppose there was, there was uh, a couple of goals. The, the, the first one uh, was two, in fact, uh, when we played Kilmarnock at Dumbarton and we actually beat them that day and, and, and I got two. The first one, uh, it was a mistake with one of the defenders and I, I just had to roll into the empty net. Um, I didn't celebrate. I, I just walked back to the centre circle. Uh, the next one uh, was later on in the game to make it 4-2 and that was one that uh, I'd gone down the line and Jim Stewart was in goals and I played it into the top corner um, and the crowd went ballistic and I, I get caught up in the atmosphere and I did a forward roll and I, it was after that I thought, no, I shouldn't have done that. Um, it was total disrespect to Kilmarnock of who I have the greatest respect for and the greatest love for. Um, so that, that, that was the, the, the first game. Then the next game was the very last game of the season uh, Kamara were playing Falkirk at Rugby Park and uh, we were playing in United at the Bulkhead. And uh, little did we know that during the first half, like, I think Kamara went into a 2 two nothing lead. Now, if it stayed like that, they were, through, they, they, they were staying in the, the top lead. And, but we didn't know at half time because the manager, Alec Wright, had made sure that there was a, a news blackout. But you couldn't, he, he, you couldn't. Uh, notice, uh, or notice the, the, the shouts from the crowd. As soon as a goal was scored from Falkirk, there was a roar. And I think something's happened. And then, of course, when the equaliser went in for Falkirk, there was a massive, everybody was jumping up and down. Because at that time, I can't remember the score, we, we, we beat them the United that day. Um, and, and I was fortunate to uh, score, I think I got one anyway against them the United. And obviously, those goals were partly took Kilmarnock down. But at the end of the day, um, it would be so easy to point the finger that it was Dumbarton that put Kilmarnock down. It wasn't really. It was the results that Kilmarnock had all season. You know, if you, if you pick up, if they'd picked up one more victory, it would have been us that were going to do, Dumbarton were going to do, you know. Uh, and, and to be fair, it, it, it was one of these things that... that I was sad that Kamara went down. I did feel for all the guys that were real friends of mine and were very good players that had to happen to the club. Now, when you hung up your boots, um, you ended up working with the SFA, but was that your initial plan? Did you plan to move into coaching and the tactical side of the game after you finished, or did you want to go away from football once you'd finished playing? No, that, that's very interesting you should ask that one because um, while I was playing uh, at Kilmarnock in the early days and I mentioned that I'd room with Jim McLean and I'd learned a lot from him from the coaching side that um, I, I went to the SFA coaching courses and I took, and I was still I was playing at Kilmarnock so I was full time so I had a lot of time and also the other thing about it was that the SFA coaching course started uh, two weeks before pre-season training. So that gave me two weeks extra pre-season training and that's why I went down to Largs. It was residential and every day you were out in the field from nine in the morning, apart from your lunch break, uh, to maybe five or six at night. And uh, if you were a, a, a pro on the course, a lot of the other coaches would use you as examples. They would have you in the exercise. So Every day I was getting five or six hours training. Uh, but not only that, learning the coaching side of the game. 
and I was I was quite keen to to move into that that side if and when I was still playing. And after the Dumbarton, uh, when uh, I was released from the Dumbarton, um, I got the opportunity uh, to go to Motherwell. Craig Brown was the reserve team coach there, and Craig was one of the guys who put me through my full coaching award. And he asked me to come and play in the reserves and help coach on the field. He was a coach, but and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that, not only because of the coaching side, but because I get an opportunity to wear on the Clare number jersey. I, I was there for a, for a while, and then I got the opportunity to go to uh, uh, Berwick. And the reason I went to Berwick was that John and I were, uh, were engaged, we were getting married, and we were building a house, a bungalow up in the Wishaw. And um, Berwick came along and offered me uh, a very good signing on fee that was going to help uh, build this house. Um, so I went to Berwick for a, a year. And it was David Smith, the ex-Rangers Aberdeen player. Uh, he was a back player manager. And when I, when I got to Berwick, uh, David put me in centre half. So he says, all I want you to do is just go and attack the ball. Uh, it was funny, we were playing Queen's Park at Hamden one day. Uh, and uh, Eddie Hunter was the, ma was the manager at uh, Queen's Park. And I know Eddie quite well. Um, as the game's progressing, all I could hear was when the ball came into your defensive area, he would shout, leave the ball with Matty. <laughs> leave the ball with Matty. Because he put someone on David Smith, because David Smith was an excellent passer of the ball. He's an excellent football player. So they put somebody on David. Left me square in the hope that my pass would go astray, and that was it. But And then after that, I got the opportunity, um, and I went to Clyde. Craig Brown asked me to go to Clyde. I was at Clyde. But before Clyde, I was at George Bonacourt. Uh, that was the tail end of my career. I was player coach there. Um, I was a player to begin with, and William McSevney, the ex-Muddle uh, player, he was a manager of Shorts, and he finished up. And then the club asked me to take it because of my coaching badges. And I took it and got them promoted. And then uh, I got the call from Craig Brown with a coming assistant at Clyde. He was at Clyde at the time. So I was there for a season. And then uh, I got the opportunity that Andy Roxburgh approached me when I was at Clyde to go to the SFA. So there's been a pattern all the way through that it's, it's funny enough, I, I didn't have to go and look for things. People came and asked. Was coach here? Would you do this? And when I got to the SFA with Andy, and I must give credit to Andy and, and, and Craig Brown in this, that first of all, both of them were instrumental in me starting there, but they were magnificent people to work with and, and learn from. And uh, it went on from there for 30 years. Uh, I was with the SFA. And I remember it was uh, Confucius once said, um, if you're in a job that you love, you don't have to work another day in your life. I found that with the SFA and I found that with all the football clubs I've been with. It's been a, a tremendous joy and a tremendous privilege to have done that. Now, sticking with the SFA for now, you were involved in the coaching side of things for the Under-16 World Cup in 1989 in which Scotland got to the final at Hamden and played against Saudi Arabia, which um, was rather controversial. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it was. we got the opportunity. Uh, Ernie Walker was the, 
secretary at the time, and he'd come to Craig and and then talked about uh, the possibility of Scotland hosting the final. And uh, so we were quite happy and we went into a very extensive programme. We, we played, we were, uh, because it was the World Cup, we didn't have to qualify for it, so we didn't have to go into the European Championships. But Craig and Andy thought it would be to our advantage to have games. So we went to the European Championships and finals in Denmark. Um, we arranged uh, friendly matches in Canada were here and, and one or two other teams. And it was a very, very comprehensive programme that we put together. And we had these boys um, nearly every month for you know, two or three days, two or three days there, two or three days there, maybe five days away and play, playing the game. When the tournament started, the first game we was Costa Rica at Hamden, and the weather was horrendous. It was bleak. There was a crowd. If I remember rightly, I think it was maybe lucky if it was three thousand at Hamden. There were three thousand at Hamden being a drum, and uh, we, we we got through on that one. We didn't do particularly well. We got the result. Then there was a couple of things happened. First thing that happened was the weather changed, and the weather became really, really army weather, warm, sunshine, and the the, the, the next game we played was at Fir Park, and uh, that was against Bahrain, and it, the tournament got on then, and all of a sudden we had seventeen thousand at Muddle because it was such a lovely, day, a lovely spell of weather. People coming on their short sleeves, and we won that. James Beattie's crackery a goal, and, uh, and it started, the interest started to go then. People were seeing it on the television, reading about it in the newspapers, and then all of a sudden, we, we, we get through to the, uh, we went up to Aberdeen, and uh, we won the quarter-final up there, a big crowd, and then we were in the semi-final against Portugal. Carlos Queros, the famous Portuguese manager, he, he was manager of the Portuguese youth team. And um, we, we were staying down in Largs. And the day we left, it was absolutely scorching. And we, we, we came up early um, and we, we got into Pine uh, Castle. And we got there really early. And Craig was great at organising things. And we, we did a you know, a quiz in the dressing room. We also, the boys had uh, something like, um, uh, they had to do a, a funny song about Andy Roxburgh because Andy had one of these UEFA red jackets on the UEFA sign and we were always giving him a stick about it. And uh, the boys did a song and sang it to him before the game. So it was, we were trying to take the, the nervousness away from the players. And Carlos Queros, who, who Craig and I knew very well over the years. And he came to us um, about half an hour before the kickoff. He says, Can you come out and have a wee look here? And we went out, and it was the first time we'd seen it. The place was absolutely, it was about an hour before kickoff, and it was jam packed with people. And you could see in a TV monitor outside, this, this queues were all the way down Gorby Road. And it, it was a, a marvellous atmosphere for the players. It caught the imagination of the Scottish public and we got a massive turnout. And I'm convinced to this day that that crowd got us into the final. Because I remember sitting uh, on the bench 
and uh, we, we got a corner and it was uh, Brian O'Neill who scored the goal. And when the ball came across and when he headed it and he headed it into the net, for a split second, there was complete silence. And I looked behind the goals and everybody's got their, like this with their hands up in the air and their mouth open. And then all of a sudden, this roar uh, of people and people jumping up and down. And um, it was a great occasion uh, and a great experience. And, and to be fair to the boys, I, I, thought, I thought they were a credit to, to the country. Then we had, obviously, the big build-up to the big one. And we go and play uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, and then, obviously, packed house. We lost the game. But one of the things, we, we did get a letter later on sent to us that uh, this person had worked in Saudi Arabia. And they said that uh, they thought that most of the Saudi Arabians were 20, 21, rather than under 16. And uh, they said that uh, in Saudi Arabia, they don't have a registration like we have a birth registration you go to uh, and, and you get birth certificate that says you were born on such and such a day at 15. What they say is that the mother comes and will say to her, um, when was he born? Um, mm, was it early in the year or later in the year? And she'll say later in the year. What year was it? Oh, I don't know. Was it sunny that year? Was it 80 degrees or was it cold and wet? So she would say, oh, it's cold and wet and windy. So they would look up and say, oh, that was 19, whatever it was. So that, that was a story we got, but um, there was no way that Scottish Football Association would have uh, taken that up. Uh, and we just left it and said that on the day, we had the opportunity to win the game. They didn't they won it? So uh, fair and square. But when you when you saw some of the, the players after the game coming out of Hamden, some of them were greeted by children who were their, their children, <laughs> and these are the players that are under sixteen. But when you saw them, they definitely looked older than us. You know, all massages and ears and whatnot. But it was a marvelous occasion, and, 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 and I must say that the players did. I always remember reading Andy McLaren's autobiography about it and him talking about how he dealt with the disappointment. So after the game, he goes back home to Castle Milk, decides to buy a carry uh, underage, of course, um, at his local shop. And as he's at the checkout, the wee woman behind the counter seems to recognise him, not just from being local, but seems to recognise him from somewhere. And suddenly he's like, oh, Am I going to get served? Am I not? But she takes the money, he takes the, the beers, and as he's on the way out, she shouts him back and says, oh, son, I thought you were dead unlucky today. <laughs> so, yeah, th there really was a, a lot of goodwill towards that uh, particular side, because let's face it, um, no Scotland team at any level has uh, come close to getting to a World Cup final since then. Now, Continuing with your work at the SFA, you once told me that uh, you were reprimanded by the SFA after an incident at the 1997 Cup Final at Ibrox between Kilmarnock and Falkirk. How did that come about? Yeah. Obviously, following Kilmarnock, uh, even though I work with the Scottish Football Association, if I wasn't on duty, I would always go to the Kelly game, whatever that may be. And of course, getting into the final that year, um, took my son Graham with us and 
uh, one or two people um, in the cul-de-sac that we stay in. Uh, we went in a convoy, three cars, and it was all decked out. Uh, my car, it was an SFA car, it had uh, Kelly flags out to two windows, it had the scarves out to windows. Um, and also, one of the ladies in the, the cul-de-sac, she was face-painting the kids. And of course, I got my face painted as well with the blue and white stripes and uh, had a big uh, uh, wig, a blue and white wig and the Philly strip on and um, we went up there and we got, I had an official car park ticket uh, at Ibrooks and I, I drove in and I parked as I came out there was three SFA officials about a car and one guy looked at me and says I see it and I don't believe it <laughs> he says an SFA official. I said, not today, I'm not. So they were kidding me on, they were going to report me. So I walked further on and I see Craig Brown and Jock Brown. Jock Brown was doing the commentary that day and they were near the main door as, as we were walking past. And um, I got the, I had a programme and I gave it to my son Graham and I said, don't ask Craig for his autograph. But Graham didn't say anything and I says, hey sir, you going to sign that programme for the boy? He lifted his head and he thought, oh no, he's like, I'm reporting you. So it was in the, the Monday when we were back in, to be fair, it was a spoof thing. You know, it said, hey, Mr. Walker wants to see you for your behaviour. Jim Farry it was at the time, I wanted to see you for your behaviour at the cup final. Um, so it, it only went down that route. It, it, was, it was a bit of fun. They were trying to get me, you know, uh, um, no, it was a marvellous uh, occasion and I remember them. The thing that got me that day was the thing that Paper Roses, uh, absolutely magnificent, you know, when uh, Raymond came down to the, the, the end of the, uh, of the game with the, with the cup well tied. Now, one last thing, um, just to round things up, uh, you've obviously retired from your work at the SFA, but you're still involved with the Football Memories programme and you've talked about the walking football as well. How did you first get involved with Football Memories? What attracted you to that? Well, it was actually um, the great work that Paul Giacomo does um, in the Kelly Community uh, Sports Trust. Um, he had talked to me one day about uh, the word going to do football memories and would I be interested in helping? I said, ah, no problem. Um, and I went along and of course there's Grant Moore and uh, Darrell as well. That's, uh, they belong to the, that particular department. And uh, we went along and I, I got involved and it was John Livingston, the club historian as well, because what John doesn't know about Carmarnock Football Club is not worth knowing. He's, he's so well versed in everything that's it's Kelly FC, and um, so I, I got involved in that. With my limited knowledge on laptop and making PowerPoint presentations, we were able to, uh, one of the things we found with the Rotary of Dementia, that a little picture is worth a thousand words rather than someone talking all the time. And we tried to do that with maybe some video as well. And it's, it's, it's a tremendous thing uh, to see um, people coming who have got dementia and all of a sudden a light switched on because we've put up a picture uh, that they've seen. Uh, I remember one particular lady came with her husband to a dementia and uh, after two or three weeks uh, and we're going around them and saying, how are you doing? She says, you know, 
that's the most he's talked in two years because something on the picture, something in his mind. And they're a, good, they're a good group. The unfortunate thing during this pandemic, we've had to close it. That's a year we've been down at the moment um, because we, we can't take the risk with the vulnerable people. Maybe catching COVID or passing it on or taking it into a, a new uh, uh, situation. Uh, but it's, it's great. And the volunteers do a, a great work there. It's not only from, from, the volunteer, from the, those who have got dementia, it also helps those who uh, are caring for them. I mean, I remember uh, David uh, Snedden, the late David Snedden, he was one that would come and his wife would bring him. Um, and it gave her respite. She could go away to the shops for an hour. And David was happy enough to be with us. Uh, and there's a number like that. And uh, at Christmas time, we always had a, a Christmas lunch for everybody uh, up in the park street. Um, not only Kamarnock do it, but it's, it's a very, very successful thing that has been done in most of the Scottish clubs and both doing. Um, and, and it gives you that kick. And not only that, it's reminding you of the work, the good work that Kamarnock Football Club do within the community. Excellent. Ross, thanks very much for speaking to us and uh, hope you enjoy your football. Don't you worry if... Uh, if the commander's got a result, they'll enjoy it even more. Excellent. Thanks, Ross. And I appreciate that. Thank you.